everything in business is a gamble. People generally buy people. It's genius! We want an education What you're thinking, can you get the buy-in? Buy-in, buy-in. You're listening to Forest FM, the salon business show with your host, Zoe Below Springer. For your industry, by your industry. Many people dream of setting up their hair or beauty salon and turning that dream into reality, learning the ropes of business and people management, making it work when your livelihood depends on it can often be overwhelming. Something that's important to understand is that just because your salon or spa is busy doesn't mean it's profitable or healthy. For example, if you're pushing hard to increase sales because you're fighting cash flow, chances are you're struggling to be profitable. In late 2019, pre-pandemic, we surveyed a thousand salon owners around the world and found that almost half, so 45%, had seriously considered giving up at some stage throughout the process of setting up, running, and growing their salon. Interestingly, the majority of those who thought about giving up did so when their salon was already well-established with three or more years in business. And now, of all aspects of running a salon that caused thoughts about putting the key in the door, 22% almost gave up hope due to external factors like rent, tax, recession, a number that I can only imagine being higher today, to be honest. 19% hated that their passion for hair or beauty had become a chore. 12% found marketing their salon too taxing. 10% couldn't keep up with admin and accounting. 3% found it too difficult to juggle family with running a business. And only 2% wanted to give up so that they could retire. On the show with me today are two great and driven minds who speak salon owner as fluently as they speak financial health and numbers. Trying to meet the ever-changing demands of growing a salon or spa business in today's fast-paced economy and consumer trends is not an easy feat. But add financial literacy to your skill set and already you'll be in a better position to make smart decisions for your business. Understanding what powers your business, what makes that engine run and the components in it are extremely important. A business can't run if it doesn't have any cash or any fuel in the tank. We have to be willing as business owners to gather the information that we need and make good, strong decisions for the health of our company. Financial literacy is being able to interpret financial information about your company and where you're trying to take it. Businesses don't just exist. We're trying to get them somewhere. We're trying to grow. We're trying to create a better life for ourselves, for all the people part of that business. So I think most people don't do financial literacy simply because the one time they looked at their stuff, they didn't see themselves in those reports. They don't see their company because they don't quite get it. My first guest today is Michael Yost, president of the Coaching Group Strategies. Since 1993, Strategies has had one goal, to help businesses operate more efficiently and profitably. Strong believer in the idea that there's no magic pill or easy fix in running a business, Michael is not only the president at Strategies, but he's also a lead presenter and a coach. He's been involved in the beauty industry since 1991. He first found Strategies as a new business owner himself, attending the Incubator Seminar in 2001 in Chicago. And the information he learned during that event changed his view on his business and laid the groundwork for the future. 
I'll also be joined by Dennis Gulo, who's also a Strategies Certified Coach. He's all about helping salon owners bring stability to their business and growth opportunities to their staff through the team-based business model. Dennis has been coaching since 2004, but he started his professional career as a salon owner and stylist in 1978. He's operated several salons over the years and has been recognized nationally by Entrepreneur Magazine, Spa Magazine, Salon Today, and the Philadelphia Inquirer for his unique and innovative business practices. Michael, Dennis, what a pleasure. Thank you so much for being here. I'm very excited for today's conversation. Well, thank you for having me and Michael. (laughs) Yeah, we're excited to be here. Looking forward to it. Yeah, we've been talking about this and I'm very excited to uh, see how you guys um, make it seem easy to comprehend this whole topic because it can be really daunting to Mm -hmm. talk about numbers and especially one on your own on a podcast without any visuals. It can get pretty tough. So um, before we get into that, I'm sure that in both your multiple years of salon ownership because you've both owned salons um a lot and lots of things have changed around you um yet both of you are here at strategies today you're working with salons uh, across the u.s and teaching business principles and systems that have brought you guys as a success as well so can you tell me a bit more about what what it was about that foundation that strategies taught you that made you think oh my god yes this is it i need this for my business and this is what's going to bring me to the next level so I'll jump in first on this and to say, you know, for me, it was quite easy, actually. Um, as a business owner at that time, uh, it simply came down to the fact that um, I was looking for education for my own company, mm-hmm. uh, came across strategies, because really, here was the, the thing that triggered for me. All I knew was that my business was growing in sales, but my checkbook was shrinking in number. And I was like, well, why on earth would that happen? You know what I mean? Now, as naive as I was, I know that for probably many a listener out there, they might be going, well, that kind of is an easy answer. But the fact of the matter is I wasn't aware of the answer. And so I was searching for for answers myself to that simple question came across strategies from my own company, um, attended a class uh, that we have called Incubator. And literally during that class, the work that we did in that class allowed me to very clearly see why that was happening along with many other things around my business to make it, to make it stronger. And so when I literally left that class and went, that was so powerful. Our industry needs to hear this this message because it was just clean, clear business education. There was, in my opinion, and still is, uh, there was no smoke and mirror. There was no easy button. There was no magic formula, mm-hmm. but it was very clear when I paid attention to the the health of my company from a dollars, from a number standpoint, and I'll say numbers overall, not just financial numbers, but other key numbers as well. That's what changed my company. And I was so encouraged by it. I'm like, I got to tell all my friends about this. So (laughs) that was my story. That was my, oh my God, this I got to share this kind of thing. Um, My story is almost the same as Michael's. Um, The difference being that I sort of understood numbers, but I I didn't connect them to real world behavior. They were just like, oh, there's, oh, isn't that interesting? Right. It, it, there, there, there wasn't a, a a real connection to 
to getting where I wanted to go. And for me, the big aha was, oh, logically, I understood that people working together should be able to do better than people just trying to do it on their own, mm -hmm. like being working together for a common goal. That just, just, it blew the top of my, off my head because they are an industry. We tend to set individual everything. Yeah. Build your following. Oh, do this. Did you do that? Do more. And what strategies taught me was, but if we all work together toward a common goal, we could actually get farther. And that, that, that really clicked for me. That's amazing. So I guess you've both, you know, went through this uh, implementation of these new systems in your own businesses. And I would assume that you saw success coming from that. Um, so before we talk about financial health, I think that's something that's really important to define is success and excellence. Are they the same? If not, how do you define them? How do those two concepts differ in your mind? So I, I do think that excellence is connected to success. I think the challenge is that everyone does have a different idea of what success is. Mm -hmm. So I would submit that, and we're just speaking about business, not, I mean, success in life is, is a different, larger question. And of course, we're probably not discussing that. <laughs> oh, I guess we could. Right? <laughs> we could, but it would probably <laughs> yeah. take another hour, you know? <laughs> exactly, exactly. But in, but in business, I think, the, the thing that makes of any business successful is the consistency at which you deliver the experience. So a successful business is one where the clients love that business. Why? Because they, they know that they're going to get whatever that expectation is. So, you know, a Morton Steakhouse is going to have a different definition of what that excellence is than say a mcdonald's mm -hmm. but they can both be equally considered successful because they are excellent at the thing they do delivering that experience and i feel like that in business the definition of success is that that it's based on have you created a, a model and systems that deliver this excellent experience every client every time yeah i mean i think the jump into this, the, the question for me actually leads back to what I, even for me, the, in thinking about it, it leads back to my initial statement, which was, how did I, how did I know it? All I knew was uh, checkbook uh, shrinking, but sales growing. So I would almost equate that to this, where in some ways my business was excellent from the standpoint of it was growing as a company. We were we were doing the right things to grow a company. We were we were providing an excellent overall. We'll just say experience. We'll leave it at that. But at the same time, the success. Uh, and again, if you wanted to look at it from a standpoint of a measurement of are you achieving the goals that you want, the success was not happening. Mm -hmm. You know, if my if my checkbook was shrinking, I wasn't successful as a business. I might have been excellent in providing a great experience, but not successful in making that experience turn into something that was financially a win for anyone involved. So I kind of look at it that way that you've got a couple, again, success and excellence aren't hand in hand. They definitely mm -hmm. are different, you know, uh, one's almost in the sense one's an action and one's an outcome and uh, in some ways. So, yeah, yeah, I like the nuances mm -hmm. that you both bring. Yeah, that's really interesting. I love the way he put it at the end that one's an action and one's an outcome. That's that's brilliant. That's perfect. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it illustrates it very well. Mm-hmm. It's like very mm-hmm. clear, a very clear picture uh, in mind. And when I, I guess, jump into the meaty part of the subject, I want to speak, I suppose, numbers without speaking numbers, if you get me. Like if we describe financial health, say, as an engine mm-hmm. um, for a salon or spa, what does that engine need at its core? What type of fuel does it need? Like, mm-hmm. how do you make sure that that engine produces its best results? And I guess we can dive in pretty deep here. Um, there's probably lots of layers to this. I mean, there, there are a lot of layers. And so if we started with the idea of, you know, of your financial uh, health, and we could, we could illustrate this a couple of different ways. Uh, we could use the idea of an engine and say to ourselves that, yeah, this is what, I mean, every company or every, we, we say engine because let's relate it to something we're all familiar with. We're all familiar with a, with a, with a car or, you know, form of transportation, right? And so, you know, every car has an engine in it. It has common components that make that successful. Well, an engine is the most important component because that's what gives it its power, the ability to move and the ability to to go forward. And so when you think about it, you know, understanding what powers your business, what makes that engine run and the components in it are extremely important uh, as far as that goes. So we can kind of start to set the table from a, a visual standpoint around an engine uh, and the uh, just the the at the core, you know, your financial health and the ability for you to understand your your the numbers of your business is understanding what powers your business. And without it, it's like getting into your car and looking under the hood of it, and there's there's no engine in there. You're not going to go anywhere. You can't you can't go. You can't travel any distance uh, without yeah. something that powers it. Yeah, so if it's if a car is the the vehicle and the the engine of what well, I'm going to say, you need something to power it. So I'm going to a- answer specifically. You just said, well, what we use to power that engine? Well, this is where financial type literacy comes in because you you need to understand how to create a business that generates profit mm-hmm. because that's going to power that engine. You know, right. we need to build. We, be, we need to build something that's going to move us and take us where we want to go. And the bottom line profit is, is going to be it. You know? Yeah. It's, and when you say financial literacy, um, what do you mean by that specifically? Do you mean like understanding like the like reading reports and, and being able to match it to real life behaviors mm-hmm. or just understanding certain terms and how to speak to an accountant? Like what exactly are you looking at there? Um, for me... It, you can start at the high at a higher level and let's keep stay with the car analogy for right now mm-hmm. i mean you wouldn't if you if you were gonna to set a, uh, uh, on a journey from like the east coast to the west coast of the united states and you got in your vehicle you wouldn't just set out you right? you would have probably charted a map maybe you have a gps mm-hmm. you've got a speedometer to let you know how fast you're going there's a fuel gauge that you have to keep an eye on there's other there are other gauges and things that you're going to you're going to utilize to to get you where you want to go to get across the country safely and successfully right so financial literacy is being able to interpret financial from information about your company and where you're trying to take it mm-hmm. 
just as if and just as easily as looking at the speedometer or the gas gauge or the check engine light or whatever you can imagine on a dashboard at a vehicle. It really is a, uh, I think it's a good analogy because we are, businesses don't just exist. We're trying to get them somewhere. We're trying to grow. We're trying to create a better life for ourselves, for all the people part of that business. So mm-hmm. um, if you can think of that and understand you wouldn't take a journey in a car without understanding that stuff. But all small business people, all the time we start out in our industry doing doing the service with our hands. And and we get re- we're good at that. And we somehow miss the idea that, but why don't maybe we need to learn this other stuff too? That's about running up the business and getting us where we want to go. Right. I mean, if you build on that idea that Dennis is is introducing, the idea of the gauges of your vehicle. And this is a great way for us to think about our financial reports. Uh, and when you talk about finance, and Zoe, you were talking about the idea of financial literacy and reports. Well, it comes down to this. You've got three key reports uh, that you need to be looking at. And uh, these are just uh, financial statements uh, that, that we all need access to, whether it's through our bookkeeper, our accountant, or if you use a, a, a software to keep track of your, your business, whether it's QuickBooks or anything in that vein, you can get these reports right from there. And so those reports are your profit and loss statement, your um, balance sheet, and a statement of cash flows. Now, This is where we can start to say, okay, well, what does all this add up to? Well, I'm going to go back and make this really, hopefully, really easy for us to think about building off of what Dennis just shared. If you think about each one of these statements in relation to the gauges in a vehicle, Dennis referenced uh, the uh, speedometer. What's the speedometer really tells us? Tells us how well our, how fast the car is going. It tells us a bit about the performance of our car. So, well, there's a financial statement called the profit and loss statement that tells us about the performance of our business. So if you think about that, when you're reading that, it's telling you about the performance of your business. Well, a balance sheet tells you about the health of your business. Well, just like if you had a temperature gauge uh, in your car or any of those nice red lights that might come on, the red check engine light or things like that, well, those are meant to give you indicators of the health of your vehicle. So in the same exact fashion, your balance sheet is there to give you the health of your company. And the last one I mentioned was called the statement of cash flows. And while it's got a really kind of confusing type of name, it's the one that all of us should be aware of because it tells you about your money. That tells you about your cash. And so the realistically, when you talk about cash, what does a go back to the whole engine idea? What's an engine need? It needs fuel to run. Right. If you have an empty gas tank, that means you're out of fuel. Cash and fuel are the exact same thing. A business can't run if it doesn't have any cash Mm -hmm. or any fuel in the tank. Mm -hmm. So if you really, I probably have now ruined driving for everyone (laughs) out there listening because now every time you look at your speedometer or one of your other gauges of your fuel tank, you're going to be thinking about, oh my gosh, my business now. But it is as simple Mm -hmm. as that. When you really get down to it, that's what makes it, that's what makes it, you know, powerful because you can start to say to myself, okay, 
I may not understand every little nuance of this, and you don't have to, but you have to understand the core concepts of what these statements tell you, just like you would looking at how fast am I going so I don't get a speeding ticket. Any, you know, is my car healthy? Am I, am, do I have a full tank of gas or is my gas gauge, uh, there's the light on and need to stop and fill that tank up. It's the same exact thing. I want to come back to something you said um, when you talked about the cash flow um, report there, when you said that the one that we probably all should, and I, I find it interesting that you use the word should, is that, um, was that something that you did intentionally because it's something that most business owners in this industry tend to overlook? Mm-hmm. And is that maybe why also we've seen so many businesses kind of panicking when COVID hit and there was, you know, no indications whatsoever as to financial help and how it was going to mm-hmm. happen and like how long it would take and how much you would get and et cetera, et cetera. Is that something that was, yeah, I guess that the usage of that word should, was that intentional? Um, yes, uh, Michael's right about should, and, and it's, it's, let me put it this way, it, this is a, a hard concept, we say it all the time with strategies, but I, I still think people don't really believe it, but profit is not cash. Right. They're not the same thing, and so with many people, without m- too much financial literacy, a lot of people will, at the very least try to look at a profit and loss statement. To, and, and basically what they're going to do is their eyes going to go to the bottom line to see if they made any money or not. That's how they're using it, right? Yeah. Well, if you don't get that profit is not cash, you can make some pretty interesting decisions based on what that number tells you, right? So the statement of cash flows is there to to give you a way to understand the the actual cash. And I mean, I used to, I, I used to say it in jest, but it's truly, it's really true. A company goes, can go a long time without making any profit, but you get to only go about a week and a half if you have no cash, mm. you know, when, once paychecks start bouncing and things like that. So it, it is two different things. And yes, it's a, it's a should, it's the least understood of the three statements. Um, but it's it, it, but think about it. You know, it, you know, cash is king. That's a saying. There's a reason. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we need yeah. to make sure that we have that. You know, in I, check. And why is it not understood? Why is it like so uh, overlooked? I suppose, or not? Like, if we pay attention to the profits so much, mm-hmm. like, and 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 like you said, you can go a long time, probably years, without making profits, but a week and a half without cash. Like, mm-hmm. how how is it not still? Um, become something that we prioritize in the industry? I think primarily, and I'll give this answer to it, I think primarily because when we understand a profit and loss, because it's the way we understand math to work. Mm -hmm. In other words, you know, for all of us, when you think about it, it's, it's the statement that starts with the big number at the top and all you do is subtract out everything and you get a, you get a final total at the bottom. And so it starts with the big number at the top, subtract, 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 but then you end up with the number at the bottom. It's the way our brain thinks about math. Mm-hmm. Statement of cash flows, the math doesn't work like that. So we see both positive and negative things on there, which all those positive and negatives represent without going too deep into it is just how cash moves in and out of our company. It positively comes into our company 
or it goes away from our company because of our habits and our spending or how we gain things. And so it's not a hard, it's a hard concept at first, but once you get it, the math is quite simple and quite easy. But on the surface, when you first look at it, the math doesn't make sense in a traditional way that our brain wants to perceive it. So therefore, we look at it and go, I don't understand this, and we just push it aside. Mm. And it's and it's the most powerful thing that that's the most powerful statement, really, because like Dennis said. You run out of cash, your business isn't going far. Mm-hmm. You can be low to no profit and still still make things happen. But you run out of cash, and, a, and again, just like a car, you run out of gas in your tank. Well, guess what? That company can, that engine could still perceivably perform well, but with no fuel, it can't do anything. Yeah. Michael just said something really important too when he said that. Um, that we don't, we look at a financial statement like that and maybe don't understand it, so we put it aside. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, if you're achieving financial literacy, is you're not putting it aside, right? Right. Oftentimes, people, and actually, and look, I, I'm computer geek and I love software, but I, but QuickBooks and things like and software like that has made people think that they can do their own accounting. Yeah. And so, but because Mike, like the way Michael said it, but, but our brains are trained to think in this way. So we look at a profit and loss statement and we interpret that one statement in a certain way that isn't always correct because we we're not trained accountants, mm-hmm. but, but the software makes it easy to do your own books. Yes. So that's a good thing. You don't have to pay somebody, you know, to come and do your books, but you're trading the fact that now it's on you to learn how to interpret that stuff and and have and do the books in a way that gives you you know good information. Yeah, because I think I think most people don't aren't don't do financial literacy simply because the one time they looked at their stuff, they didn't see themselves in those reports. They don't see their company because they don't quite get it. And so, oh, this is not this must not be for me. This just must be for the accountant to do my taxes. It's not for regular people to understand. And I think that's the big, that's the big challenge for all small businesses that no, you know what? If you know, you, it is kind of on you to understand it. It's not just so that the accountant can do your taxes because they have a different agenda than maybe you do. Yeah. 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 And I guess, uh, you know, it's at the end of the day, your business is your baby. You, you know where you want to bring it, you know, yeah. you're the driver of it. You so, got it. Coming back to that car analogy, the driver. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, I want to talk about profitability because we touched upon mm-hmm. it just there. Um, I know that you, obviously you're both passionate about bringing integrity, excellence and profitability by design into the world of salon and spa owners. What is, based on both your coaching experience, the key to profitability and in the same kind of line of questioning, what's the most common, I suppose, quote unquote, blocker to profitability? So now this is, I promise you, I'm not being a wise ass with this answer. But the key to profitability is to sell your time for more than it costs you. That's 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 the answer. It is that simple, right? So the the challenge is that we usually don't we don't have enough financial literacy to know what an hour costs us. So we don't know if we're selling it at a profit. 
Yeah. So that's one. That's one side of the equation. You want to handle the other side of the equation, Michael? Well, I mean, I think what I would, I think to kind of build on that is, you know, again, the, the key to profitability is every business owner has to take responsibility for their actions. All right. And so part of that is this, is you've got to be able to make good decisions for some people. And I'm just going to call a spade a spade. For some people, the blocker is the fact they still will not change habits that have them spending more than they than they than they generate. Simple as that, and that can be the that can be the the block uh, to it. Now, it can also be other things that we don't see as much in a way, and we don't think are as harmful, but still make major impacts on our profitability. There are many, many, many businesses out there that um, are running productivity numbers that are way too low. Low productivity does not help you grow profitability um, because there's a cost that's associated with every hour that you have. And it doesn't matter what your business, how your business's pay structure is or anything like that. The most common misconception is uh, that, well, especially in a commission and uh, type of environment, well, if they're not busy, then they're not getting, then they're not costing me anything. Well, the fact of the matter is there's still cost that goes with everyone. There are always physical costs, but there's also culture cost. Uh, there's also, I mean, there's a lot of different costs to your company that aren't just dollars. And so for many businesses, you know, if you want to grow profitability, it's a matter of behaving in a way that says, you know what, and this goes back to what Dennis said, the, the key is make sure that, you know, your, your time, you're charging appropriately for your time, but also make sure you're maximizing the time in your business because there's a lot of companies out there that struggle with low productivity rates. And again, just for clarity, for anyone listening, when Dennis and I use the word productivity, we mean how many hours we have for sale in relation to how many hours have we sold in our company. So if I work a 40-hour work week and I sell 40 of those hours, well, then I'm 100% productive. If I sell 20 of those hours, I'm 50% productive, okay? Right. And so there are many businesses out there. We know the sweet spot is 80 to 85% is where we want to live, where there's many businesses out there that run 65, 70% productivity range. And, you know, the fact of the matter is that just doesn't add up to anything that can be a positive. It's really challenging. So in in that sense, let's say if your, your productivity rate is at, let's say, 60, 65%, and you use the correct formula to calculate how much you should charge for your service, that end number that you get because your productivity rate is so low, is probably not accurate, right? Well, what'll probably happen if your productivity rate is so low is that that number might be too high for your market to tolerate it. And then you don't become competitive right. enough. Right, right. Yeah. If there, it's a balance, that balancing act that you're, that you're achieving there. But um, one of the first things we, when we see a company that's with lower productivity, we would we would work with them to get their productivity rate up before we'd look at that 
cost per hour number and decide if we're going to need to make an adjustment there because mm-hmm. it might be, you know, oftentimes uh, a company that's running, at, if, their, if their productivity rate is high enough, a price adjustment might still be in order to get to profitability, but it won't be a, ri- a ridiculous number. Yeah. And I guess the other thing that is probably not helpful for profitability is just like if you're bleeding out cash, like through expenses and stuff like that. Um, What are like some areas um, to, I suppose, kickstart the profitability if you know that your your productivity rate is in that sweet spot, but you're still bleeding out cash? Like what are some areas that tend to have salon owners bleed out? Well, I mean, one of the the first places people want to go to is uh, let's see if there's anything that we're spending. We we believe in building a cash flow plan. With, mm-hmm. As this is not the statement we talked about earlier, but let's plan the spending. What how what are we going to spend in advertising? What are we going to spend in supplies? What are we going to spend? And now creating the discipline to live within that plan. When we say uh, planning profit by design, that's kind of what we mean. Well, we're going to live with what we just planned out. Then we planned it all out to be profitable. Um, But a a big, big one is, you know, people tend to not realize things like might be you're spending more on supplies than you need to because people aren't using things properly. Mm -hmm. I mean, so it might not be a, it might be a, a, you might be great at watching your budget, but we're not good at not wasting Hair color, say, for example, if you're a salon. A classic one. A classic yeah. one, right? Um, and then are there things that, we're, that we've we gotten used to spending um, that we don't, that don't really aren't helping in a, and we forgot about it? I, I worked with a company and they had a Spotify and Pandora account because they signed up for one and they signed up for the other and they and forgot to turn the other one off. And so that comes back to, are we paying attention? Sometimes it's just in the paying attention. I always, uh, what I always like to leave people with on that note on the spending side is that remember that if if you're running the business that say a 10% bottom line, 10 cents out of every dollar are going to be profitable, right? Is it easier to grow your business by $1,000 in sales or is it easier to to cut spending by a hundred dollars because they would have both would have the same effect on your bottom line. And so sometimes the easiest thing is to look at all your stuff and, you know, I can spend a hundred dollars less on something. Yeah. And, and, and you just kicked up your bottom line. And oftentimes I feel like in this industry, especially now in today's kind of, you know, era and and where we're at with technology, I feel like there's a lot of like technology that helps to reduce these like costs. And you mentioned the color example there, but there are like, you know, some stuff that you can use and avail of. And yes, you're paying a subscription, but you're probably Mm -hmm. saving a lot more money than you are actually paying for using that technology and and making sure that you're you're using just the right amount of, say, color for, for the sake of this example. Yeah. And we always, you know, to throw one more thing in there, we always want to be aware, too, that, you know, our number one expense in our company is our payroll expense. Mm-hmm. And I'm not I'm not sitting here just before everyone gets their, their neck hairs raised a little bit too much. I'm not sitting here <laughs> suggesting that people should get pay cuts or anything like that. As a matter of fact, we're firm believers that we want to grow people uh, you know, we want to help people grow 
in a positive way with their overall pay. But, but are we making good, smart decisions in every area of our business? And that's, uh, I think that's just where I'll leave it. Every area of your business needs to be able to say, I need to make smart decisions. So yes, it's one thing to make smart decisions about our spending in certain areas, but we sometimes can ignore the elephant in the living room, which is, but we're making a not so great decision about uh, our pay structure or however that is, whether you're uh, commission, you're hourly or any number of things. It doesn't matter what your system is. I've seen people make poor decisions no matter their compensation methodology to not lead themselves to someplace good. And so we have to look at, we have to be willing, and I guess this is what I wanna say, and I'm gonna go back to the blocker earlier that you, you, you put out there. We have to be willing as business owners to gather the information that we need and make good, strong decisions for the health of our company. Because I'll, I'll put it out there this way, when you, when you protect your company, it can then protect everyone that's a part of it. And, and so we all want to work for healthy businesses because when we do that, that business helps to provide us with the things that we come to depend upon so that we can all meet our mortgage and our rent and put food on our tables and all that. You know, So we've got to protect our company so it can protect us. And that means making good, strong decisions, not always easy ones, but good, strong decisions about every aspect of our company so that we can be a healthy company and in turn, achieve the cool things that we set out to do when we first started it, Mm -hmm. which is when business Mm -hmm. gets fun to have. Yeah. 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 Michael, I mean, it's, I love what he just said because it's the truth. Making, making the decision that keeps that company healthy being the leader honestly is the most important job and and sometimes especially if we're service provider owners it's easy to lose sight of that you know because we're doing we're wearing so many hats but the most important hat is leader and and the one who does make those that makes the decision that's what's best for company yeah well let's talk about one decision that um tends to feel maybe a bit harder for many owners out there. I'm not going to say everyone because some salons do this uh, on a very regular basis and it's part of the culture almost, but raising prices. Raising prices is not something that everyone feels very comfortable with all the time. Sometimes um, it's because they don't know maybe how to communicate that to their clients and they're afraid of the, the reaction of their clientele. But I want to take you back to, you know, when like thinking about your salons, um, how often would you have raised your prices? Um, on what basis would you have raised them? And I suppose if like, if you can't raise your prices for whatever reason that is, if you're in the situation where you can't do that, is there any way to make profits? Loaded question, I know. I was going to say a lot of uh, a lot of I'll start out some of the answer with with this and the kind of we got a kind of a two parter uh, in this question for sure. Um, I'll go back to the initial part of the question, which is in my own company. And as I work uh, with companies uh, in a coaching relationship is I do like to see that we make adjustments to pricing on a 
what I would just say is a fairly regular basis, let's say roughly, you know, every 18 months to 24 month type of a time frame is, I think, a good period to look at because it allows you to stay. I mean, just let's just be honest. It allows you to stay, keep current. You don't have to do anything major, uh, but it allows you to stay current with, you know, you could say the cost of living and, and things of that nature, because things just naturally are going to increase. I mean, it's just, Hey, every, all I know is when I own my business every year, I get the price sheet for my, uh, my back bar supplies and things like that. And amazingly every year it always went up a little bit. Right. (laughs) And so, you know, there's only so much where I'm not in favor of what I'm not saying is, well, we should, we should also raise our prices on just this regular, regular, regular kind of basis, because a customer is not going to be that's not going to sit well as a consumer, you know, and it wouldn't sit well with me either. But I think realistically, a looking at a price adjustment just from the standpoint of there's a normal cost of living increase that kind of happens around us. I myself find about I found about 24 months was a good time frame for me in the cycle of my business. Now, again, Dennis, I'm happy, you know, you you can share whatever, mm-hmm. you know, your thoughts on that uh, for sure, uh, and where you come from from that standpoint, mm-hmm. and then maybe we can circle back around. To, I think the part B, which is if I'm in a position where I can't raise prices, what are some things I could do? Because there's some definite thoughts there that we've somewhat touched on, but we could explore just a little bit more in depth with a little mm-hmm. bit more clarity. Yeah, I don't know that I have much more to add to what you just said about how often. Um, it really comes down to the factors that we sort of already talked about. Yeah. Where's your productivity rate? And the other side of it is, how, how, are we good? Are, I mean, are we retained? When clients come in, do they come back? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So if we're looking at a price increase because we're slow and we don't you know, have enough work to do and we think raising prices is what's going to get us to profitability, well, maybe we better fix the, the guest experience first. Mm. So it's not so when you say, oh, I a business can't raise the prices, well, let's look at the why. Because for the really the only reason a business can't is if they're not busy enough. Right. Right. They're and and the reason that they're not busy enough is because they haven't been able to develop the reputation that it's an excellent experience, whatever at whatever level they're they're playing the game. So I would I would say that. And uh, as far as how often, I think Michael's right. You know, maybe you maybe you can get away with once a year if you really paid attention and and adjusted it, because it would only be a little bit probably every year if you were running. If everything was working perfectly, and you had great retention, clients loved you. You're just doing it because your your business is growing and and you're just keeping up with the cost of everything. That would make sense to me. Mm. Um, Dennis, I love what you said. I'm glad you said it because it is so important for everyone that to hear is, you know, raising prices isn't just about the fact that you're incurring more cost. You have to make sure that, again, that you're providing an experience that is something that that people it. are willing to pay for. Um, and that you because, again, and that comes back to understanding, you know, your retention and and uh, and and things of that nature to see, 
again, is this appropriate? And so I love the fact that you brought that up because that's a big deal. So if we go to kind of part B, so the what you ask around what are things you can do potentially? And we've kind of touched on these things. The most common way to drive your costs in a sense downward and be able to to gain more profit without having to raise prices is to make sure your productivity is at an optimum level and your expenses are within a controlled, Mm -hmm. uh, what I would say, a healthy range. Because again, people can, and I want to be clear about this, People can go too far with the whole cut expenses thing. It's like, listen, <laughs> yes, you know, if you want to sell product, you better have product on the shelf to sell. <laughs> all right, uh, no, he's like right. I yeah, you, you know, if you'd like people to be able to do their work, we better have some stuff around so they can do their work <laughs> with it. All right, yeah. Um, but you know, the most common things that we see, the best ways to to drive down our cost to be able to show the ability to be profitable easier without raising prices is to first and foremost, make sure that your expenses are within healthy guidelines for the size and scale of your business mm-hmm. and make sure your productivity is where it needs to be working within an optimal range. If those two boxes are checked, hey, yep, my budgets are within within healthy ranges, and I'm running 80 to 85% productive, mm-hmm. well then at that point, that would indicate, going back to what Dennis said, that we are probably doing things correct. If our productivity is in a really nice range, that means that we're providing a great experience. And raising prices then becomes a very easy, simple thing. Right. But most people can find a lot of room for growth because they do run high in expense in multiple areas, Mm-hmm. and they run low in productivity and they still want to raise prices as their solution, that's where things go bad. Because people are like, what? Why am I going to pay for an average yeah, service? Exactly. Yeah. More for an average service. Thanks for, uh, yeah, thanks for diving into that and clarifying all mm-hmm. that. That makes a lot of sense. And uh, I guess it brings us to uh, my my final question for today, which is uh, our thought starter question to wrap this conversation up. Um, and uh, the card that I've just flipped, I hope you're both ready. What is the most important lesson that you have learned in this past year? I got one. I'm gonna I'm gonna do it first, Dennis. Go gonna, for it. I'm gonna beat you to the punch. Meet your new look reporting dashboard. A quick look view of your vital stats, from salon financials to critical client data. With best-in-class dashboards with advanced filtering. All in real time. Analyze, take action, and stay ahead of the game. New Look Forest Reports. Supporting your business across all your locations. The most important lesson to me in the past year is to be fearless. And what I mean by that is it's the idea behind that is fearless to me is willing to take actions that might not be something that everyone thinks is the is the right action, but I know that it's the right way. And I'm thinking, and again, I'm coming at this and I want to be very clear. 
I'm coming at this from a business perspective, that the businesses that we have seen be successful are the ones that have been fearless about what they've done and decisions that they've made. And that doesn't always mean that they're popular. That doesn't always mean that they're the way that everyone thinks it should be done. It means that they've made decisions and they've made them and they've stuck by them and they move forward because fearless is what sets the tone uh, around a culture. And fearless is what is, to me, a great energy. Those that have kind of, I hate to say it, but the opposite of fearless is those that kind of go, I'm going to wait and see or I'm going to hold, you know what I mean? Mm. I don't want anyone, fearless doesn't mean going off without any plan. Fearless just means I know my information and I'm going to move forward because this is what it's going to take for this to, to, uh, to overcome the challenges. This year is no, in a way we can say, yeah, we can look at COVID and say, oh my gosh, this huge challenge. Well, guess what? We had challenges the years before that, and there'll be challenges the years after that. Um, yeah, this one stands out in our minds, no doubt. I mean, this was a big one. <laughs> but hey, guess what? Challenges are going to be here two years from now, three years from now. And businesses that are fearless say, I've got a plan, a direction that I'm set for my company, that I understand about my company, and this making these decisions to take my company here, this is what we're going to do to get there, and let's go for it. I love that, it. That's brilliant. I, I have to just piggyback on it because it, it's it's good because he's right. It's it's uh, the leadership of a, you know, a company saying this is what we're going to do. This is why we're doing it. They have a clear uh, vision of why and where. Right. You know they 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 have their own version of the "I have a dream" speech that they can deliver on command, and they're not afraid to go get it. You know, leaders. But it's the most important job. Remember that. Absolutely. Yeah, you right. couldn't have said it any better. And it shows that you work together, really, completing each other all the time and all these yep. answers today. <laughs> <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> and you have definitely, you have definitely um, excelled in my mind at the language of salon owners and numbers um, and making it visual and easy to comprehend and grasp. So I really am thankful for your time with me. Um, if people want to connect, reach out, uh, find out more about your work at Strategies, any events coming up. How can people do that? Where can people find you online? All right. The easiest way is uh, obviously we're all over uh, social media, especially uh, like to so check us out on Facebook, uh, on our Strategies site. We've got some great things there. And honestly, the, the brain center for everything is just strategies.com. And that'll get lead you. It's got the links to our social media pages. It's got the links to all of our education. Again, if you're not familiar, we're, we are a coaching uh, and education company. And uh, that's what we do. We work with businesses every day. And we do that through one-on-one -on -one coaching and business education classes and resources. So strategies.com is your stop for you know where you can start to link to everything else that we have. Both of us came to to all of this by whatever reason going to a class that we call the incubator and that's that's where he got his by ahas is where i got my ahas and we just happened to have an incubator coming up the end of september <laughs> and which and it's streaming so wherever you are in the world wherever you are in the world be there or be square <laughs> 
C'est un rendez-vous, as we say in French. <laughs> I think it's the first time I've ever spoken French on this podcast. Look at that. We've I love it. I love it. International, baby. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. Michael, Dennis, this has been an absolute blast. Thank you so much for spending uh, this time with me on the show. And uh, I am looking forward to hearing all the, the feedback coming from our listeners today. Can't thank you enough again. Thank you. Thank you. It was great. If you're looking for a little something that can help drive big success in bite-sized steps, we've got the perfect thing for you. It's called 30 Days to Grow. We uh, launched a new edition this year called the Thrive Edition. It was launched in June, but the challenge is now available to do at your own pace. So it is free to sign up. You can head over to force.com forward slash 30 days to grow. So that's the number 30 days to the number again grow. And it's as simple as one easy challenge every day for 30 days to bring the buzz into your salon business. Once you sign up, we'll be delivering easy daily tasks that will help you supercharge your marketing, boost your team's performance, improve your salon's digital presence, put your self-care at the center of your success. And we do have a few financial challenges in there. So uh, something to check out. If you have any questions throughout, you can always reach out to us, send us a DM on Instagram, reach us on Facebook, send us an email. We're always very, very easy to reach. Finally, don't forget that you can head over to forest.com forward slash FM to catch up on anything that you've missed, uh, get the transcripts to these episodes, subscribe to the show's email newsletter. And if you want to share your thoughts on the show or this episode specifically, you can send us an email directly at forestfm at forest.com. We read every single one of you. Or you can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, which we also monitor very, very closely. Your feedback is critical. It's what helps us tailor the show to your needs. So on that note, all I'll say is thank you in advance and I'll catch you next Monday. This episode was edited and mixed by Audio Z, Montreal's cutting-edge post-production studio for creative minds looking to have their vision professionally produced and mixed. Great music makes great moments. Forest FM, the Salon Owners Podcast, is brought to you by Forest Salon Software. Get your clients back in more often, spending more, and generating referrals. Let's grow.